What's going on guys, it's your man with the plan, Samuel Plan, coming back at you once again with another brand new installment of Sports Entertainment is Dead right here on Lords of Pain Radio. Thanks for tuning in guys, if you missed last week's episode you can still go catch that on demand, the way to do it is very simple, head over to Spreaker, head over to lordsofpain.net and you can catch my last episode of SCID on demand, you can also do it through your usual podcast provider as well. Please also make sure you check out all the other great shows here on Lords of Pain Radio. We have stuff coming to you each and every single day of the week, covering everything from New Japan Pro Wrestling, Ring of Honor, TNA, Indie Circuits, British Wrestling, you name it, we've got coverage for it. So do make sure you check out all the wonderful shows. You can do so by subscribing. Don't subscribe to Lords of Pain Radio, but do subscribe to each of our shows by their individual name, and that way you can make sure you don't miss a second of the great coverage we've got for you here on Lords of Pain Radio. It is another week in my ongoing project for Sports Entertainment is Dead Year 2. If, of course, you're unfamiliar with it, and this is the first time you're tuning in, I take a guest host every single week and we explore a match chosen quite at random historically either by myself or said guest to explore the themes, the creative merits, the character, the narrative, its historical importance, anything that we think is worth commenting on. It's all inspired by my book 101 WW Matches to See Before You Die which you can still go ahead and buy on Amazon anywhere in the world. And, of course, it's also the inspiration behind my second incoming book, which will be a direct sequel to 101, but will be focused specifically on the new generation era. Both of these books explore many of the benefits that come with watching your professional wrestling as performance art rather than as sports entertainment, which, as the title of my show implies, is, in my belief, dead. That's what these match explorations aim to do as well. And this week, we have another Back joining me again this week, he was here with me last week as we broke down the culmination of the Summer of Punk from Ring of Honor in 2005. He's well known to anybody who follows Lords of Pain on any of its formats uh, and is in particular very prevalent in our forums. I encourage anyone to go over there and check out his Life and Times of Bobby Heenan series. It's Ms. Fan, welcome back. Thank you very much for having me again. Good to be back. Um... Last week we talked about a match that you'd selected, which is the culmination of the the Summer of Punk, a four-way between him, Samoa Joe, Christopher Daniels, and James Gibson, formerly known as Jamie Noble in WWE. Um, I had uh, someone who has watched, uh, well, not watched ROH, heard of ROH and, and everything that happens in ROH from a distance. I had some vague familiarity with what the Summer of Punk was and, uh, you know, the kind of the context of that. Not so much this week. This week you've picked uh, a, a slightly more obscure match, I would say, at least from my perspective as a WWE mm-hmm. guy. Um, Takeshi Morishima versus Brian Danielson. Morishima is, I hope I'm saying his name right, is defending the ROH championship here. Uh, ROH Manhattan Mayhem 2 from the 25th of August 2007. Brian Danielson, obviously, a very well-known competitor is Daniel Bryan to WWE guys so a bit of familiarity there uh, but generally speaking absolutely no context out of the few words that you gave me very graciously on Twitter when you uh, suggested this to me my friend so um, for my benefit but primarily for the benefit of the people listening who may have no idea what this is about do you want to set the storyline up a little bit set up the background for how and why this took place uh, certainly so. Uh, at this time, uh, Takashi Marishima, uh, who I also, I, I always mangled names, but yes, I'm pretty <laughs> sure we're on the right track with it, uh, is holding the Ring of Honor Championship, uh, and he's really holding it 
in a vice rip. Um, there's a lot of Ring of Honor wrestlers over the years who pattern themselves on styles of Japanese wrestling. If you know anything about the All Japan style, the King's Road style of the 90s, you may have some idea of what I'm talking about. But here we have kind of the genuine article, a man uh, who literally came out of that, that realm, out of that dojo, uh, holding the title. And so far, none of the Ring of Honor faithful have able to take that title back from him. On the other side, you have Brian Danielson. Of course, uh, I am a massive fan of. I think it's fair to say most people are uh, at one point or another in his career. Not everyone, I know. But uh, you have him as the challenger. Um, he's a former Ring of Honor champion in his own right, one of the most successful of all time. Uh, he's long been very antagonistic of the fans. You may have heard of uh, the whole I Have Till Five uh, thing that he was uh, a bit famous for, where he would uh, keep holds on as long as possible. He would kind of uh, supplement his natural ability by taking shortcuts. He would antagonize the fans a bit. But at this point, it seems like he might be the best chance to take that belt off Marishima and bring it back to a Ring of Honor original. Uh, but Marishima is definitely not going to let it go without a fight. So we have a big event in New York. Um, Obviously not the first, since it's Manhattan Mayhem 2, but still one of their biggest New York shows to date at this time, probably ever, if we look back. Uh, and yeah, you've got Danielson versus Marishima, and that's a big match, and uh, I'm glad to talk about it here. And and why um, why does Danielson feel like... Uh, is it just simply because his sort of his compatriots had, had attempted and fa- all of his compatriots had failed in the past, so he's like a last chance saloon, or is there a specific reason why he feels like the best chance to take that title back? I won't necessarily say he's a last chance because uh, unlike the last match, if Marishima wins, he's not necessarily going anywhere. Sure, He'll come yeah. back to defend the title again. But uh, Ring of Honor is fast running out of top challengers, and uh, stylistically in Ring of Honor, if you fail a title shot, you're not necessarily going to get another one anytime soon. You know, it's like, well, okay. if you can't beat the champion, you can't beat the champion. So. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, that that that's where it comes. That uh, Danielson seems like he's the best chance because Marishima has defeated others, uh, people who seem like they had good opportunities, but uh, they fell to the power of Marishima. So now you have Danielson, and you got a lot of fans hoping that he's going to be able to take the title back here. Okay, uh, throw a, a, a curveball at you here. Um, uh, the idea of uh, there's a there's a champion who is seen by uh, the the fan base or at least in universe as a as a so, sort of an outsider. He's holding the championship. He's held the title for a while. He's had a, a stream of opponents who are uh, seen as as uh, very much case more sort of ROH for lack of a more elegant term than than the champion is, and they've all failed. And the yeah. fans desperately want to see a you know one of their own take the title off of him. It all sounds very familiar to me because it 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 <laughs> interest to get your reaction to this reminds me of what they've tried to do with Brock Lesnar in recent years in WWE. Hmm. I think there's some truth to that. Uh, obviously, the biggest difference is that Marishima was very present in yeah. Ring of Honor. Yeah, <laughs> quite. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a reason that I think they've gone back to that idea a few times, uh, and Brock Lesnar I think is not unique in. Uh, in doing this, you could say the same thing about um, Hollywood Hogan in WCW um, or, you know, really many other champions over time. Rock, when he was in his Hollywood form, um, uh, there's a few different ways you can do this. And yeah, I, I think 
as you say, what sets it apart from the Brock Lesnar is, yeah, that he, he's actually there. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, there is some similarity, definitely. Okay, fair enough. Um, so, said at the top of the show, obviously, and I'm going to keep referring to him as Brian Danielson because that's the character that he's playing here. It's not Daniel Bryan, it's Brian Danielson. Um, but if my tongue does slip... Uh, Forgive me. Um, Brian Daniels, people very familiar with him. Uh, we've seen uh, in mainstream, for, again, long, lack of a better term, mainstream professional wrestling, him play both the good guy and the bad guy and both do both tremendously well, arguably better than, than anybody else in the world, um, arguably, uh, and um, has has succeeded at the very highest height that one can succeed in, in professional wrestling uh, as both. You mentioned that he's he's kind of got an antagonistic relationship with the ROH fans, uh, but at the, the same time he seems to be their, uh, their, if not their last hope, their best hope at taking this championship off of Marishima. And that immediately sets up a very intriguing uh, sort of emotional context for this because um, he certainly came off um, as, as a little antagonistic in the match. Um, uh, sort of had certain heelish qualities to him, villainous qualities to him, the way he was grinning when he was sort of repeatedly antagonizing Marishima with kicks to the legs and that kind of thing. He certainly was extremely aggressive. Just the vibe of his performance felt a little heelish, but obviously had... And it was, a, I mean, it was a split crowd. There were times when people were chanting for the champion, but, but certainly had support of 50% of the crowd at the very least. So... The fascinating thing for me was you, you get almost like a, a, a hybrid example, interest to get your thoughts on this hybrid example of, of um, Brian Danielson, who in this situation seems to have the opportunity to be both good guy and bad guy. And in that sense, it almost becomes um, a necessary watch for any fans of his. I, I would definitely agree with that. I think here you see something that's a little more in between than the two extremes that uh, that Danielson has gravitated towards in his WWE career, and he's very good at both. But this is something that, yeah, you maybe haven't necessarily seen in WWE because he is a bit antagonistic. He is a bit of a, a jerk, perhaps. You know, he can be vicious. He can be cruel. Yet in this instance, uh, he's kind of directing that all towards someone who is not only also not in a good relationship with the fans, but is also a lot more powerful than him. So you see Danielson almost needs to take these attitude, needs to take, uh, I won't say shortcuts, but kind of look for any advantage he can because – uh, even though, yeah, he is able to kind of give the evil smile when he's at the advantage, uh, he also has to scramble a lot in this match. And uh, I think at this point he's looking for any handhold that he can possibly get. So it's a nice blend of maybe the two Daniel Bryans that we've seen uh, in WWE. There's uh, the, you, you use the word scramble and there's a moment in it that I absolutely loved, which um, was quite scary in a way. He, he, sort of almost literally scrambling he's on the the ring canvas uh and he's he's sort of begging off's the wrong term because it's not really a beg off but he's he's scrambling backwards away from marishima and marishima just proceeds to sort of eviscerate him on the the ring mat and it's mm. it's uh, i don't know if that was characteristic of of uh marishima as a performer or as a character at this point but it was it was harrowing to watch it felt genuinely quite frightening yeah, I think that is indicative of Marishima. I think this is one of his uh, best performances, so credit to that. And uh, your mileage may vary on other matches, but somewhat similar 
to, if you listen to the last episode, we talked about Samoa Joe and the aura and kind of the uh, unstoppable nature that he had a few years before. Marushima now in a similar role, uh, but bringing his own kind of flavor to it. Uh, and I know just a moment you're talking about, and yeah, it is, it's a hell of a moment. Um, it, it's a great visual. Um, there's also, um, I mean, visuals is something that I very much wanted to talk uh, about on this show because uh, from the very opening moments where they're sort of facing off and, and uh, Danielson goes for the sort of the handshake, Marishima ignores it, um, and you've talked about Marishima's power, we know that Brian Danielson isn't necessarily always going to be the biggest guy in the ring in any match. Um, his stature by the standard um, is perhaps diminutive. Well, maybe not so much anymore, but but certainly, uh, you know, depending at what point you're looking at, uh-huh. uh, could be considered to be diminutive for a for a professional wrestler. Not that that is any reflection on his talent, of course. Well, um, much smaller than Marishima, yeah, for sure. Quite absolutely. Um, and Marishima, a, a, a big, big guy. I would assume a heavyweight in Japan. Looking at him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you have this one guy who's sort of hulking and looming over the other one. Um, but I think Danielson's look here I love be- with the shaved head. Yeah. Um, and the, and the, the, he's clean shaven as well. And he, he looks like a, not literally, but he looks like a pit bull. He looks like someone that's going to chew your leg off if he needs to, to, to win a match. Mm. Um, and so that just, just the visual of that contrast, I think is, 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 very very striking uh, and and before they'd even locked up had hooked me immediately i've seen obviously uh danielson wrestle bigger guys uh, you know and i've seen god knows how many matches that that essentially tell pretty much the same story as this one tells which is chopping the big guy bit the big guy down it's what bret hart would always do when he wrestled diesel mm. um there's a reason why guys always go back to that well and it's because it works right yeah, it's compelling. Um, it's an easy story to tell, but to tell a story as well as this, I think, uh, requires a high level of talent. Um, and if you get a guy like Danielson, who, yeah, a lot of the times is going to be smaller, uh, he's going to need to depend on a story like this, but he tells it so well that you can't help but feel compelled by it, I think. I, I think there's a, there was a sense of it being – it felt refreshing to me as a, as a well – um, something I've talked about a lot on this show and on the right side of the pond on Fridays and um, I don't know where you sort of sit um, on this Miss Fan, particularly as someone who does digest a whole range of different kinds of wrestling mm. um, I get and maybe it's a bit prescriptivist of me, maybe it's a bit old fashioned of me um, but I like my heavyweights to wrestle like heavyweights and I like my smaller mm. guys to wrestle like, like smaller guys uh, I understand there are times and places where seeing a heavyweight sort of do a do a suicide dive is really cool, um, and I, I and I get that seeing sometimes a guy like Roderick Strong pick an author of pain up and throw him around in backbreakers sometimes is really cool, but I feel like it happens far too much these days, and it gets to a point where all the big guys wrestle like the little guys, and all the little guys are throwing big guys around like their weight doesn't mean anything, and so everything starts to look alike, and and I like that very basic sense of you know, if you're Marishima's size, you use your strength. If you're Brian's size in this, sorry, Danielson's size in this kind of a of a situation, um, you either, you know, depending on the kind of wrestler you are, you use your speed or you use your technique. That's exactly what they happen. So, uh, what they do. So I I love the fact that in that sense, it's a pretty traditionalist uh, 
traditionalist style of match that they that they wrestle um, because I feel like if you saw this we ragged a little bit on NXT at the end of last week's show and I'm all for doing that now and then um, and I feel like if this was a match that they sort of set up in NXT today Marishima would have been diving all over the place and, and his size wouldn't have even been a factor in the match as such mm-hmm. no I absolutely know what you mean um, you know full disclosure I like it when a big guy flies. You know, Vader, one of my favorites of all time, he would do a moonsault. Um, a big yeah. guy diving over the top is always super cool. But I absolutely agree with you, actually. I think context is so important in the story of a match. And a lot of that is just basic things like size and power. And when that does get ignored, one of my biggest pet peeves with wrestling in 2019 and this is from almost any company that you could name, is that when two guys come into a ring and they are presented as completely on an even keel and it's regardless of the things that they can do physically, uh, the things, their size, their power, like I said, the different styles or strategies they use, nothing irritates me more now than wrestlers uh, who are just focused on doing mirror spots where they're doing the same move coincidentally at the same time or see cutesy crap like that. So that, (laughs) uh, it drives me up the wall. Um, So, so I definitely get what you're saying. I think context is so important and you have these tools to tell a story. So why not use them? And yeah, they do a great job of that here. Don't always, do a great job of that in wrestling in 2019. So I know where you're coming from. Yeah, it feels it feels refreshing for that. And I and the other thing that um, if we're talking pet peeves in wrestling, I'm sure you're very much aware of the fact that that one of mine is is far too much false finish, mm-hmm. um, especially when it comes to people using their their you know, what should be their finishing moves, which feels increasingly like a term that's outdated anyway. But sure. um, clean conclusion to this uh and to such a degree in fact that it took me aback uh when i watched it which i think speaks to how much i've been conditioned watching the wrestling that i watch to to not expect a clean conclusion anymore which is a little bit depressing when i think about it but um mm. at first uh, i it took me aback I was, that's that's a bit sudden um but then when i started to uh sort of digest it a few minutes after turning the video off um I realized that it was just a conditioning thing on my part. And when I started to think about it, I actually really liked it. Now, um, <laughs> I accidentally rushed into a spoiler alert last week. Here's a spoiler alert in advance for you guys. If you don't want to know the result of the match, maybe mute this podcast, skip ahead a couple of minutes. But um, I love the fact that essentially um, there's there's a wonderful sense that usually – you. I'll start again. Usually in a wrestling match, they they will tell a story where someone's aggression gets the better of them. Mm. um, And so they make a mistake or someone's hubris gets the better of them. And then they make a mistake and that results in them losing the match. And if you just kept your composure or kept your game plan, you might have succeeded. What I loved about this is it, it seemed to turn that on its head a little bit because throughout Danielson seems to get a bit of an advantage when he just goes full on aggressive. Like there's, there's a wonderful moment where he's beating the tar out of Marishima and it's so sort of compelling because of the size difference we talked about earlier. Uh, and he's just relentlessly aggressive. Um, and what I love is the fact that his, his big mistake seems to be almost when his, um, when his sort of tactical scientific side overtakes his aggression, he decides to go for the, for the big spot off the top. Um, and can't hold Marishima's weight, gets crushed, and then it's sort of all she wrote from there to the end of the match, 
where Marishima retains the championship. And I don't know if you felt that this way, but to me that felt like the opposite of what we would normally see. Normally, I feel like we'd have seen a kind of story where Danielson relies on his technique and then his aggression makes him make a mistake. And it seemed to flip that. And I really loved that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great read on the match. I don't know if I would necessarily have brought it in those terms, but I can absolutely see what you're saying. Um, certainly in 2019, the big finishing stretch of trading big bombs uh, is king. You know, finishers, big moves of all sorts of things. Uh, and you definitely see something different here. And yeah, if you really break it down, Danielson really, when he, I won't even say stuck to the basics, just when he went right at Marishima uh, and and focused on physicality rather than trying to put together um, some kind of elaborate wrestling move that theoretically would do more damage. But yeah, absolutely backfired here because you just can't give a guy like Marishima an opening like that. Um, Yeah, if he had been just more relentless, if he had just stuck to that aspect of it, could have been a different outcome. And I love that it feels like that. There's a sense of strategy in the match that appeals to me hugely, where you really felt like, well, if he had just done a different thing, then the outcome would have been different. And that's some, it's a feeling you don't always get, and I love when you do get that. I think um, as a performer, Danielson is is someone I think you, you often get, or at least I often get that mm-hmm. sense uh, from from his work, not all the time, but perhaps more so than than anybody else, um, including my own boy Seth. And it's you know for me to to, to admit anything <laughs> against him is is a big deal for me. So um, and you're absolutely bang on. I mean, again, I I didn't necessarily pick up on that, but now you mention it, I think it's absolutely there in droves, and um, especially that one sort of crucial moment that I mentioned mm. with the spot off the top, yeah. um, and. Because it's smart, you know, it's it's smart wrestling. And and if you watch interviews with, I remember watching a, I can't remember what it was now. It was something on a WrestleMania weekend. There was a show where they they were talking to Danielson about or Daniel Bryan, I guess, uh, about how he would have. It was when he they'd forced him into retirement and how he'd work a match with Kurt Angle. And just listening to him break down the logic behind what his vision for that would be. Uh, I mean, I try and avoid getting too meta all the time, but match analysis sometimes demands it that that you realize his his he's so obviously passionate for wrestling but he's so dialed into into it as well and and I think he's easily surely one of the smartest performers we've seen in in the last 20 years yeah so um absolutely um I think what was it I asked you this at the top of the show last week I've kind of staved off asking you it so far but what was it particularly that made you pick this match then as a as a as a recommendation? Now, before you answer that, I'll say one other thing. I actually own four ROH DVDs. Oh. Um, I bought uh, the two that they released on Tyler Black, obviously, uh, and I bought. I actually bought. I didn't mention this last week. One of them is the Summer of Punk DVD, which I haven't watched all the way through, which is oh. why I wasn't familiar with with uh, last week's match. Um, and one is like the best of, of Kenter, I think, from when he used to wrestle in, in ROH. Um, and I haven't watched all of them. Um, I've watched sort of bits and bobs from them over the years. I've never had the time to sit down and watch the whole things. But um, I've seen a number of matches that Daniel... I saw one match Danielson had with Tyler Black. I think I saw another one he'd had with Kenter. Um, people talk a lot all the time about uh, the quote-unquote WWE style. Um, and I don't know how much I actively buy into that, but I think there's definitely uh, a difference in um, 
sometimes more stark, sometimes uh, you can barely tell. Um, but I th- in my experience, when I've gone to watch matches like this cold, I feel like there is a, something of a stylistic difference, though I'd struggle to define it. Danielson, I think, is a performer who is just instantly accessible, um, yeah. I think. And, and because of what we were just talking about, he's so smart, you know. Um, I don't know if that played into your decision to suggest this or not, um, knowing that I'm a WWE guy. Um, so I just wanted to mention that before you, you go out answering why it was you selected it. Oh, sure. No, I um, that's, that's all very cool to know. Uh, I'll say for why I selected this match, I am... A massive Brian Danielson fan. He's one of my favorite guys of all time. And uh, just flat out, this is one of his uh, best Ring of Honor matches. And what's more, it's a match that tells uh, one of my favorite stories of his uh, independent wrestling career. Um, He has a lot of matches, arguably some people would say, are better with guys who are maybe more similar to him in size, more similar to him in style. Uh, Definitely does have really great matches with Kenta, with Tyler Black, uh, Nigel McGuinness is a feud that uh, a lot of people hold on the pedestal. And uh, those are all great. But for me, I gravitate towards this match, maybe above all, uh, at least in his Ring of Honor run, because uh, of all the stuff we talked about, of the story, the strategy that is involved, and also because um, you talked about being taken aback by the ending. And that's one thing I love. And maybe it's because I'm a little jaded, I'm a little overexposed to kind of like the tropes of wrestling. But man, when you get a match like this, you get a guy as good as Danielson who wrestles maybe not a perfect game but a very nearly perfect game and still can't get it done just because he's he's outsized, uh, he's outpowered, uh, and it just wasn't his night. You know, If something had gone a little different, it could have gone a different way, but it just doesn't work out. And it's not because of cheating and it's not because, you know, someone ran down to distract him or, you know, any of the, the normal excuses you would maybe make. For a guy like Danielson in order to protect him. No, he gave his everything and he just lost out here um, in a very brutal match. So uh, there's just something about that that appeals to me so much. I love an ending that could take me by surprise, but then I look back on it and say, yeah, that makes perfect sense. That That's absolutely – like it, it almost couldn't have gone another way when you look at everything that happened in the match. So – all of that put together, uh, I thought, hey, this would be a great match to, to start us out with. Was was um, was Marishima at the time explicitly the bad guy? I would say he was explicitly uh, the final boss, if you mean by that. Uh, <laughs> you know, like he, he had taken the title and he had defended it so dominantly that it very much became a question of like, if you could knock off Marishima – not only are you the world champion, but you'll have done kind of the impossible. You'll have accomplished something that almost nobody have done. And that maybe goes back to, yeah, your Brock Lesnar comparison that you made earlier. Uh, Marishima, I don't know if you can call him necessarily good or bad because he's not in there cheating. He's not in there necessarily taking shortcuts, but he's just such a brutal force of nature. And he doesn't really seem to have any regard for his opponent or for human life, arguably. I mean, he, he is very brutal to Danielson in this match. Um, so I think maybe that is a slightly better context to look at it in. So he's sort of um, almost lifted above the typical moral alignments that you would see in a promotion. I would say so. And that's not not cool. just because they told you, but because like that's just what you're seeing. Like He just yeah. came and he started brutalizing people. He didn't make a, a mission statement. He's not against ROH. He's not against anyone specifically. 
uh, he's just here to cause violence and uh, brutality. And yeah, I would say he is a little bit above that typical morality that you would see. Okay, and and my other question then would be, um, who was it for again risk of a spoiler? Who was it who would um, eventually dethrone him? Uh, eventually, that honor went to uh, Nigel McGuinness, one of Danielson's biggest rivals that I mentioned earlier. Although there is another very famous match. Uh, I think at the end of 2008, so quite a bit on here. This is a storyline that went on for a long time. Oh, wow. Or Danielson, okay. yeah, where he finally did uh, defeat Marishima and uh, exact some revenge for this match and for everything that went on. And uh, this is something we haven't talked about, but this match it really was quite genuinely brutal. Danielson, uh, this is the match where he suffered a detached retina oh. at the end, yeah, and had to uh, – had to have some medical procedures, of course, to to help with that. So, so there was there was some legitimate brutality in here, and I honestly don't know if that's to the credit of the match or not. But I will say they worked it in beautifully as the feud continued and as it finally came to its conclusion more than a year later. I was uh, I'm glad you said that because I was I was about to ask that question actually. We we've, we've uh, talked at the top of the show a bit about sort of and and sort of through the whole show about styles mm. in the ring. I tend to prefer the word fashion, but but um, styles in the ring. And obviously, um, particularly in Japan, um, everything is 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 pretty intensely physical. Yeah. Um, and you know, there's the, the, there's always that as a wrestling fan, there's always that very difficult question um, of you know, it's an inherently violent industry it has to be it's professional wrestling mm. but how much is too much like where where do you draw the line uh, and um as a guy who grew up as a bret hart fan and bret hart was a guy who very vocally uh, i think it's fair to say boasted about uh, how he never injured an opponent in the ring and stuff so i've i have grown up as a wrestling fan um kind of naturally disinclined to like anything that gets too deliberately uh, physical, unless it's for a very explicit sort of one-off purpose, mm-hmm. you know, that it's the kind of thing that the match demands at that point in the story or something. Where do you sit on all of that in terms of, because you've just mentioned that this is a very legitimately brutal match, but it didn't necessarily have to be, or did it? And where think... do you sit on that sort of, that whole kind of question with this? <laughs> that's uh, that's the tough question to ask. In the last four minutes of the show. <laughs> of course, yeah. Um I think it's really hard to say. Uh, I go back and forth, to be perfectly honest. I'm usually inclined to say, to put it in the hands of the wrestlers and to say, you you know better than me in most chances. You know what you can do with your body. Uh, It's up to you. But then, of course, there are examples that are exceptions. Like, I'm now very uncomfortable um, with uh, chair shots directly to the head, you know, with no protection. And there was some controversy about that. Uh, with AEW doing a spot like that uh, some months ago. Um, and I was uncomfortable, but some people said, well, you know, you know, blah, 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 this, that, and the next thing. But uh, you look at the timing of this match, very close to the Chris Benoit uh, oh, incident. Course. Yeah, and um, then that has to do with head trauma. We know the long-term effects of Brian Danielson uh, taking this head trauma, missed uh, years of his career. Uh, thought he would never wrestle again. Very glad that he was able to come back from that. But still, you know, there are there are real life consequences. So I'll just say for myself as a fan, most of the time it's something that I put to one side. But it is in the back of my mind, you know. And if there is a case where I get too uncomfortable, it's uh, it's that old 
chestnut of uh, I can't always articulate it, but I know it if I see it. Um, yeah. So I, I know where my own line is when I come across it. I try to give a lot of leeway because nobody's going to live forever. You know, uh, everyone is going to have some kind of effects of the choices they make in life and they have the right to make those choices. But there are times when I feel like I'm just not comfortable supporting this. This match doesn't go to that extent uh, for me. I could see possibly it would for someone else, but I still hope that people will check it out and give it a chance because because uh, there's just some tremendously good stuff in here. Absolutely. Well, what I was going to say actually is that it. I asked the question because it's kind of topical, but mm. but um, it it shouldn't put people off seeking this match out because unless you'd have just told me as you did that that Brian had suffered a detached retina and it had gotten that physical, I legitimately wouldn't have been a. I wouldn't have known that about this. <laughs> this match and i don't know whether that's because i'm i'm desensitized or whether that's just because of how um uh how enthralling the story is and that's that's kind of the ultimate point for me with this is that i didn't realize how much i enjoyed it until after it was over Mm. um there are times when i'm i'm you know and I, i i don't know how universal this is but there are times i'm watching a match and i'm I'm very aware that I'm enjoying it. If that, I, I know that sounds like a strange thing to say, but it's, <laughs> I guess it's the difference between watching wrestling and enjoying it and having a fun time and watching wrestling and being transported into right. the story that they're telling. Uh, and sometimes you are cognizant of that and sometimes you're not. And in this case, I really wasn't. And as I've sort of come away from it and digested it, I've realized that actually I, I did really enjoy it and I did really like the fact that it was so well disciplined, I guess, is the, the the phrase that I would use. You know, it didn't go in for the kind of indulgences that you can often see in in, in re- all kinds of wrestling spheres today. Um, and it didn't go in for what I, as a fan, would call bad habits. It didn't take shortcuts to heighten the drama or anything. And above all else, it was clean. I mean, that was the best thing. You know, in, in wrestling since the late 90s, is so obsessed with shenanigans all the time, you know, in interference or ref bumps or brawling on the outside or, or whatever the case may be, that to see a wrestling match that takes place between the ropes, bell to bell, is, is you know, at times scientific, at times aggressive. I think, and I don't know if you agree, but I think that's something of a lost art. I won't say it's lost because I there are places where I see it, but you're right. It's less less and less common, I think. Um, so maybe a, a fading art or an art that maybe is due for a comeback, I'm going to say optimistically. so. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I take your point. Absolutely. And hey, I love a good shenanigan sometimes, but man, sure, give, it a, well. give it a rest. Like sometimes it's too much. Yeah. Sure. I mean, I'm a, listen, one of my favorite matches is, is – the Bret Hart Diesel match you hate so much from Royal Rumble 1995, <laughs> and that's like Survivor Series is so much better. All right. No, it's really not. But that's I think it is. All right, okay. <laughs> that's a, a debate we can have another time. Well, there you go, folks. I mean, we've we've kind of broken that down. Um, I I highly recommend you go and and find it online. Um, or indeed, uh, do ROH have a subscription service? They do, but it doesn't contain a lot of their uh, 2000s oh, okay. calendar for I don't know why exactly. Um, oh, okay. So I don't know if I would necessarily recommend that for this stuff. But yeah, a lot of this stuff is just online. Uh, Danielson versus Marishima is on YouTube. I'm pretty sure it's just on the ROH channel. Um, yep. So it's up so. officially and everything. So it's a lot of good stuff you can find. One last question for you before... Sure. Um, which of these matches between this week and last week, which which did you like better? Which do you think I would have liked better? 
I feel like I'm hearing you gravitate towards this week's match because uh, you had a lot of little kind of nitpicks <laughs> for the, the punk match. But this one you've been pretty much uh, very positive on. Yeah, I, 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 I much preferred this one, I have to say. Okay. Uh, I, did, I enjoyed the one we covered last week. Um, but as you say, there were, there were kind of, there, there were things that bothered me a little bit about it. And I know they're kind of pedantic and, um, you know, sometimes you can't reason away why you dislike some or don't like something as much as perhaps you should. Mm. Um, but that was the experience that I had with last week's match. This week's match, uh, curiously, like I said, uh, you know, I was enjoying it while I was watching it, but it was only when I came away that I realized, man, I, I actually really enjoyed that. That's great to hear. Well, I'm glad I could expose you to a little bit of American indie wrestling. I, I look forward, however many months down the line, to uh, hopefully doing it again. <laughs> I would love to have you back again if you want to um, have a think about, um, you know. And I listen. I'm I'm up for watching anything. Part of this was to try and demonstrate, you know, that that consuming wrestling as performance art can apply to any kind of wrestling. So, um, you know. Uh, hell, even venture outside the United States if you want. I mean, I, I'm sort of covering New Japan a bit with, with uh, Sam here and there, but um, anything else I'm game for. Uh, TNA stuff, you know, Mexican. I, I've barely ever watched any Lucha Libre at all. Um, oh, wow. So anything like that. So um, the ball is yours for when you're next on, Miss Fan. I look forward to having you back. Is there anything you want to plug before we head off? Your social media or any projects or anything like that? Oh, yeah, I came last week. I didn't even pimp my social media. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> uh, I'm on Twitter. I'm at Spectral Gents. Give me a follow. Give me a, a shout-out anytime. I love to talk about any kind of wrestling. As the man said, I watch just an inhuman amount of it. Uh, so um, if you got something to talk about, I'm sure I could think of something to respond with. Uh, yeah, check out uh, The Global Revolution, airing Tuesday mornings, myself and my buddy Jeff, where we also talk about a lot of wrestling outside of the WWE uh, New Japan kind of a megasphere, uh, some stuff that you may not have heard of, some cool stuff that you may get turned on to in 2019. Also, uh, the life and times of Bobby Heenan running in the uh, LOP forums right now. Hopefully there is a recent edition out. I try to get those out as often as I can manage them. So check that out. That's everything I got. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a very good time. My pleasure. I look forward to having you back. My thanks once again to Ms. Fan for joining me for this second week in a row. I hope you did enjoy the show, folks. If you have any thoughts on any of the things that we've discussed this week, you can reach me by the usual methods. Tweet me at LOP Plan. Find me on Facebook. Just look up Samuel Plan. You can reach me at LOP Forums as well. Just sign up. It's totally free and you could be part of an awesome community there too. I will, of course, be back next week. But in the meantime, stay safe. And have a good one, folks.